Everybody have a key. You should have been given a key. This is not a drawing for a car. Somebody asked me that. No one's going to win a car from this key. Just, we're going to use this in a little bit. I just want to make sure everybody's got one. If you do not, hold up your hand. Somebody will get it to you. I've got some up here in the front. It's just kind of a, 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 a thing I want, to, I want to give you to empower you to use it uh, for some good. Um, uh, and, and, and applying this lesson partly. But anyway, so just hang on to that key for just a little bit, and, and we'll be getting into that. Men, be ready to, uh, to, to, to be cooking for next Saturday. I, I appreciate every year this thing. There's, it's, a, it's not just the idea of, of men cooking. It's, it's all this excitement that's built around our young people as they prepare for Lads to Leaders. And we want them to know that the whole church is behind them and endorses this and really wants to encourage uh, them to develop these skills. And so we build up, like, the, the meals and the teas that are, that are done with the ladies. All this is to encourage our young people to know we're celebrating, we're rejoicing in these things that you're doing. We believe in this. So, um, so participate in that as much as you can. We're going to make our way to Matthew chapter 16, if you would. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll be there in just a second. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Did you get one? Did y'all get them too? They're coming with some right there, right here. Sounded better without me anyway. <laughs> when I came to Valley View, one of the most annoying things, you know, anytime you try something new and embark on something new, there's some things you love and there's some things that annoy you. The thing that annoyed me was this. The key to the church building was not a key at all. It was a card. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Go to hotels and you get the thing you swipe. Yeah, but that's just temporary. You're just there for a little while and you put it in your back pocket and all that. Uh, you can't put a card on your key ring. It's awkward. It's bulky. And, and so everybody said, well, just leave it in your truck. Well, I did. I left it in the truck and it never was where I left it. There's two of them in my truck somewhere now. I can't find them. It's hard keeping up with. I don't carry a wallet with me, so that's, it's just, it became annoying because I would get up here and I would be at the building. I can look in at my office, right? But I could not get in the building. It's like I'm, that's my office, my work is in there, and the stuff I need to get to is right there. I have every right to be here. This is the job I have, right? But it's just like I'm some foreign weirdo trying to get in a church building, you know, in, a, in an illegal way. Standing outside, looking at where you want to be, where you have every right to be, and you can't get in there because you don't have the stinking key, I mean card. Who else does this kind of stuff, Right? We're going to be talking about a key. Really, it's not us talking about it. It's God talking about this. The idea is one thing might be actually more frustrating than that. It is when you have a whole stack of keys on a key ring and you lose your keys at home. Anybody have the trouble of finding your keys at home? Anybody else have a struggle with this sometimes? You have to go looking around everywhere. There's a neat device now. We got it for Christmas, but I haven't been able to locate it again. It's a... It's a it's a square thing like this, and what it does is it has a, an app on your phone that it sits on your key ring, and you push the button, and you can find your 
your phone if it's lost, but if you can't find your keys, you press this app and it makes your alarm on your keys go off. It's like they're going, I'm over here, I'm over here, and you don't have to lose them anymore. What a great device, keys. Keys are important because they have the authority and the power to get you places. You assume if you've got a friend who's taken you somewhere and he breaks out a key and he, and he opens up the door, you're assuming he has the authority and the permission to enter that building. That's what the key is. It's you have the right and authority and the power to open up this building. And you have keys to your cars and your houses and the buildings that, that tell you you've got the permission and authority to be here. Well, everything is this way, and it's been this way a long time. We now have computers that, instead of using any kind of key or even passcode, you use your thumb, your fingerprint, or might use your eye print, or some kind of weird thing that, that is unique to you, because we all value that we've got to know that we have the authority and the right and the permission to be here, and the privacy it protects. This is nothing new, and I want you to know something interesting. God does. I want you to know something interesting that the kingdom also has keys. When you listen to preachers today on TV, you might get the impression, God just wants everybody on any basis whatsoever, you're going to be right with God, so just you live a pretty decent life, that's good enough, and he lets you in. But that's not true. There is an authoritative, permitted way to enter the kingdom of God. There's a process you go through, and it's called you've got to have the keys to get in the kingdom of God. And it went like this, Matthew chapter 16 Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who are people saying that I am? Who are people calling me? What are they saying about me? And they give them all the options. Here's what some people say and here's what other people say. And then he just kind of stops them right there on the road and he looks at them and says, what about you? What do you believe? Who do you believe I am? There comes a time in life when every person has to stop accepting what everybody else says about this and decide for themselves. So last week, after most of you left, Jack Wills comes up and says, actually his dad comes up and says, you have lunch plans? I'm thinking, well, yeah, Melissa's got some like barbecue pork chops or something, you know. Well, what I mean is, do you have time to baptize Jack? I said, of course we have time. And he ended up baptizing him, but of course we have time. And we said, but here's the thing, when he, when he stood up here, I did not ask him, hey Jack, what do your parents say about Jesus? I didn't even ask Jack, what do your Bible class teachers say about Jesus? What have you been told about I said, Jack, do you believe with every fiber of your being, in your heart, Jesus is who Scripture says he is? And he says, yes. And that's the confession that led to him opening the keys of the kingdom, right? Using the keys of the kingdom. It's a confession he made. And Jesus looks at him and says, who do you say? Guys, you... I'm glad you're raised in a home that people believe that. And I'm glad you come to a church that we believe wholeheartedly Jesus is the Son of God. But listen, you're going to have to decide based on your personal evaluation of the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and make him Lord of your life before it benefits you. You have to decide this. So he asked him, who do you guys say? And of course there's this awkward silence. Andrew's looking at Thomas. Bartholomew's looking at Levi. They're all looking at each other, and the awkward silence is broken with one man speaking up. And if there's anybody who's going to speak up among the twelve, you know who it's going to be. 
Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment for Jesus. This is what he came for. And finally, someone besides an evil spirit is confessing this. Someone besides some, some evil demon is saying the truth. And finally, all his work is starting to pay off. How did Peter come up with this? How did he reach this conclusion? Surely he's the Son of God. It is, it is, he's witnessed so many things. He's seen Jesus one-on-one, 24 hours a day, several days in a row. He's seen his way of life. He's heard the great teaching. He's seen the great miracles. He's been reprimanded a time or two. And he takes all that evidence into consideration. And he reached the conclusion, surely he is. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the living God. But Jesus even remarks about this. After Peter says this, Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You didn't reach this conclusion just from people. You didn't reach it from polls and from influences and grandmas and grandpas and, and church. You didn't just reach this from, from watching things. You reached this. God nurtured this identity through his word in your life. And here's the thing. You have lots of people, and the church is among them, lots of people trying to convince you. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to try to make this small print, and I'm not going to try to make this subtle and behind the scenes. We at Valley long for everybody to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God and be saved. That's what we'd long to hear. Everybody confess it with their own lips, and we're going to try to tilt you in that direction. We're going to try to treat you in such a way that it attracts you to this. And moms and dads are going to do the same thing. They're going to live their lives a certain way at home and on the job and before you and certain words they say to you because your mom and your dad wants you to come to a point where you confess this with your own lips. But there's going to be a gap between what we can do and what you need to do that we can't span. We're going to be a church that tries to serve and tries to get attention and tries to treat people in an authentic way. You're going to have a preacher who tries to be as real as he can to influence you, but there's going to be a gap, and that gap can only be filled by God himself using his own word to convince you of the truth of who Jesus is. No, not everything has to be a Bible study. In order to be evangelism, you don't have to have a Bible with you all the time opening it up to people. But listen to me. Our witness and our example and our influence is not sufficient to convince somebody that Jesus is the Son of God. We must get their attention, take them to the Word of God, show them from the Word that God is bearing witness to His Son being the Son of God to take away the sins of the world. And through that going to the Scripture, God convinces you. God has to play a role in getting you to to, to, to confess this. That's what He says to Peter. I want you to know that our... Our witness is important but not sufficient. I don't want you coming to faith in Christ just because we're a friendly church. The reason you come here, I hope you find us friendly, but our friendliness is not what converts you. 
You must have conviction from the Word of God that what we are saying here is true. That it's from God and inspired by Him. Because there'll be a friendlier church on some corner. There'll be a friendlier place of, out there that's not teaching the truth. And I want us to be friendly, but I want us to be true above all. I want us to be witnessing properly to what the Word of God actually says and you coming to a conviction of it. I want God to be the one to convince you that his son is the son of God, just as it was with Peter. Well, Jesus is so excited and so ecstatic that he honors Peter in a powerful way. And you see it, you know this. This is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Catholicism takes this and says Peter was the first pope, and there's this line of authority in popes that comes from this. I have no idea where you get that concoction from. But here's what he says. You are Peter. On this rock, his name means rock, and so he's using Jesus. The first thing he does is he infuses Peter's name with significance. I don't think the name change takes place here, but I think the meaning infusion does. He says, your name is Peter. We've been calling you Peter, but I want you to know there's a reason for that. You are a rock, and I'm going I'm to reward you by giving you a special place in the way I bring about the kingdom. It is his confession that earns him this place. But Peter as a person is given a special role in the establishment of the church right here. And we've got to pay attention. He then goes on to say, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, right? Give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Peter is given a special thing, a new name infusion with meaning, a special place where we're going to watch him, and he's going to be given the keys that what you use keys for is he's going to open up the way for people to come into the kingdom of heaven. He's given this special role, and we got our eyes on Peter now. He is given this place where God says, I'm going to use you in a big way. Now, the kingdom is not available for human participation yet. Jesus is preparing it. He's talked about it since Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about the kingdom of God. He's going to purchase the kingdom of God. He's preparing for it, and he's telling them right now, pretty soon, the kingdom is going to be open up for human participation. It's called the church. It's not yet, but when it is, Peter, you're going to be the one who opens it up. He's given this special place. So we got to start watching Peter from here on out. We kind of put our eye on him and we go, okay, he's, he's important, he's got the keys. If you're going somewhere and you're in a convoy of people, arriving at different times, the person you want to travel with is the person who has the key to the place you're going to. If, you're not, if you are driving, riding with someone else, you're going to get there an hour before they do and you're going to sit around because you don't have the keys to the kingdom. What we know is, whatever this happens, whenever this happens and whatever it takes to open it, it's going to be through Peter. So let's watch him. Let's travel with him. And so our eyes are now on Peter as the one who has the keys, who's going to open up the kingdom to allow humans to enjoy the benefits of it. That's what it is. So we start watching him. And this is going to be a roller coaster ride. He just gave his name an infusion of meaning with Peter, but the very next scene, he gives Peter another name. Does anybody know what it is? Satan. I'm going to go and I'm going to die and I'm going to, I'm going to pay the, the, the price for the church. And, and Peter says, no, that's not how it's going to go. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So all of a sudden, the guy carrying the keys is the bad guy. What? I mean, this is not going to be... And it's not long after this till, till, till Peter denies Jesus in front of all people three times that he even knows him. 
This is not going to be a smooth journey. But then after the resurrection, you've got these three women going to the, to the tomb, and they roll, you know, those stones rolled away, and they meet Jesus, and they re- finally realize who he is, and there's a message given to these women. And the message is this. Go tell the disciples, anybody know the next two words? And Peter. Is Peter not one of the disciples? Of course he is. Why the special mention? You might say it's because, well, he denied him three times and he feels disqualified. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not disqualified. Okay, that's one way. It could be two. You're the guy with the keys. Don't lose the keys, Peter. Don't forget you're the one who's, who's got to be there to open up the doors of the kingdom. So you've got to go see me in Galilee. You've got to see the resurrected Jesus because you can't open the doors if you don't see the resurrected Jesus. And so here comes Peter, and he fulfills this. Acts chapter 2 rolls around, and that's where we're going to start watching Peter. You've got to keep your eyes on Peter because he's the secret to this whole thing. Keep your eyes on him. Okay, next screen. Acts chapter 1. The disciples say, here's Jesus about to ascend, and they say, is, is now the time for the kingdom? Are you going to open up the doors of the kingdom now? Are we going to be allowed to participate in it? And he says, don't worry about the time. God's got that taken care of. But let me tell you what you are to do. You go in Jerusalem, you wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and when he comes, you will be my witnesses as you open the kingdom, the foundations of the kingdom, and establish the church first in Jerusalem. You see that in red? In Jerusalem. That's number one. Number two, in Samaria and Judea. And then number three, to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the people of the world. This is how I'm phasing in the foundation of the church. This is how I'm establishing my kingdom on earth for human participation. This is how it's going to go. I need you as my eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to be there for all three phases. Okay, that's chapter 1, verse 8. That's the outline to the book of Acts. Chapter 2 rolls around and all the disciples are preaching. Next screen. Yeah, right there. Yeah. This is the very beginning in Acts chapter 2 when they, the Spirit falls on them, they start preaching. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. They were all preaching, it says in Acts 2. But in this case, it says, we're going to zero in on the preaching of whom? Peter. He's going on about to use the keys. Fellow Jews, he says, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And he starts unloading the gospel message in its fullness for the very first time about Jesus and who he was from Scripture and from their own experience. This Jesus was handed over to the Roman authorities. He was crucified, but he didn't stay dead. He raised from the dead some 50 days ago, and now I'm here to witness to this, and it's your fault he died, but it's God's fault that he's living again, and he is, what's the next line say, next screen? He is the Son of God. The great confession that Peter made is the last line of his first sermon. He's made this what? has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. There he is. He's using the keys. He's opening up the door. He's got it inserted into the lock, and he's about to twist it real good when the people interrupt his sermon and they say, We believe you. We believe you. We're stricken. It's our fault. It's our guilt that caused it. What do we need to do? And he's still using the keys, and he gives it a good twist. Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord your God will call. Click. Click. 
Doors open. He uses the key. The key is the message. The key is his response. He's using the keys Jesus gave him. And when they come to the conclusion that he's the Son of God and they repent and are immersed, they are opened up to the kingdom and the Lord adds them to it. This is the way it is. Permission was granted. Door is open. What's beautiful about that, if you'll back up one verse just a second, back up one screen just a second, notice at the very bottom of that he says, uh, for all whom the Lord your God will call. God is calling people. And when you respond to him, you don't respond just because of, uh, of a human flesh and blood convincing. You respond because God's calling. How does God call? Is he called you? Are you called? How many in here were called? You're confused, aren't you? Every time the gospel's preached, you're called. God is calling all people. When the gospel is preached about what Jesus did and your sin that caused it and God's grace that raised him up and God's spirit that raised him up and he offers to you to forgive you of your sins upon repentance and of long immersion, when that happens, God's calling you. If you don't respond, that's on you. God is calling you. And when you do respond, you are chosen by God to be saved because you've responded to his call. That's how it works. And the key is used, and the door is open, and now the Jerusalem Jews are allowed into the kingdom of God. The church is now available for human participation. That's the first phase of Acts 1-8. Keys aren't gone yet. Peter's still useful now. He's still got a job to do because in Acts chapter 8, we see it going on to phase 2 as the people in Samaria were, were allowed to come in, Right? Acts chapter 8 becomes a little weird though, and this is where a lot of people get a little, a lot of confusion, and it is strange. Remember the program, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, but in Acts 8, the gospel moves into Samaria through the preaching of a man known as Philip. Is he one of the twelve? This or no? No. He's one of the six deacons, right? He's one of those Six or seven, what is there, seven, six, seven? There's all those guys chosen in Acts chapter 6 to, 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 to work out the feeding issue of the, of the widows, right? But he's an evangelist. He goes down to Samaria, and he preaches the gospel to them. And they're baptized, but something's funky about this. Because when they're baptized, there's no spirit that comes. Now hold it, the way God says in Acts chapter 2, when you use these keys, when, when, when you respond, when you repent and you're baptized, your sins are forgiven and the Spirit comes and you're added to the church. But in this case, they're, they're, they're baptized, but nothing happens. And they're confused. And what do you do? Well, here's the thing. The church is still being established, expanding to part number two of Jesus' plan. You've got to have the keys. And you call the key holder. And what do they do? Next verse. And when the screen, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent who? They sent. Yeah. Why? Because he was given the keys of the kingdom. They sent, they accept, you know, they send Peter and the John down to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed to the, the new believers there. And when they laid their hands on, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why did the Spirit come after the baptism instead of at the baptism? 
because the keys weren't there being used by Peter, and he wasn't an eyewitness, an earwitness. It was Philip who was there. And so now the key is used again, and Peter says, you know what, this belongs together. For the kingdom to be complete, this belongs together. Spirit and forgiveness and baptism all belong together. They put them together. But there's another weird occasion. Acts chapter 10. This time, this time the Spirit comes before. Peter is preaching to Cornelius, a, 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 a centurion, but he's, a, he's a, a, a Gentile. He's not even a Jew. and a, 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 He's struggling with this. Peter admits this in chapter 10 and chapter 11, that he's struggling with this, trying to figure out what is a Jew doing in a Gentile's house preaching a gospel to them? What's he doing? Because he's been told by the vision. He's led by the Spirit. He's led by a dream. He knows this is what he needs to be doing. So he says, okay, I'll tell you the story. So he starts telling the story to these Gentiles. Gentiles, but he doesn't know why because he doesn't know what to do then. Can they be allowed in the kingdom too? You got the, th you got the keys, Peter. So as he's preaching to them, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Now hold it. It's supposed to be baptism, and at the baptism comes forgiveness. And the Holy Why is the Holy Spirit? explains it in chapter 11. God is pushing him because he doesn't know what to do. And God is pushing him, saying, these need to be together. Use the keys. He preaches that message. They come to the conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He says, the Spirit's come. God wants this, and so I'm going to immerse you. Let's keep it all together. And he does, and he uses the keys, and again, permission is granted. Once this program of chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts is done. Once the kingdom is fully open, the keys are then given to all believers. You have access to them as much as anyone. So now that this kingdom is established, the foundation is laid, the church is now available, the key is put in the words of the apostles, their writings and their teachings are right there, and the key is available for every one of us. When you come to the conclusion from the Word of God that Jesus is the Son of God, and you follow those keys that Peter used, you're convicted, you believe it fully, and you say, what do I need to do? And you repent of your sins, and you're immersed. Once again, the keys are used, and they're laid there for you. You come to an awareness of who Jesus is. You're willing to say that with your lips. Yes, I believe he's the Son of God. Not only that, but I want him to be Lord of my life because I've been Lord for too long. And not only that, but I'm fully convinced of the power of the gospel and I'm going to unite with it in my own death, burial, and resurrection and rise to walk a new life. And the keys are used again. You have the key. The same key Peter used. He used it first. That was his special role. And then he put it in the Word for all of us to have access to. So you've got a key this morning, and here's what I'm asking you to do. Some people already done it. I was leaving, and Shirley Smith from the early service said, it's on my key ring. I said, what is it? It's the key to the kingdom. That's what this is. I'm going to infuse it with meaning. Okay, so you've got the key to the kingdom. Dangle it from your rearview mirror on a rubber band or something. You can't do that, can you? You can't put them on a rubber band, but you can hang them from a chain. Put it on your key ring. Put it on the edge of your desk. Put it somewhere. And, and, and let people see it. When people say, and they will, they're going to say, what is that? And you're going to say, it's the key to the kingdom. They're going to say, what? Yeah. Well, not that, but I know what it is. I've used it. 
I've used it, and I know what it is, and I'm willing to give it to you. You ready? I'm, I'm about to tell you what the key to the kingdom is. And you share it with them. But make sure it's the same one that you used. Make sure it's the same one Peter used. That is the key that opens up the kingdom to anyone who's not in it yet. It's going to be the same key that when your great-great-grandchildren look to be in the kingdom of God and to participate in all the benefits that God wants to give through His truth and His church, it's got to be the same key. We can't change it. We can't alter it. We can't shorten it. We can't make it more palatable. We can't. It's got to be the same key if you want in the same place. I don't know if you've ever been to make a key before. But sometimes they don't make it right. And so you take that key home and you assume it's all right and it doesn't fit and it doesn't work. And listen, you change anything about the key, it will not open the door of the kingdom like you think it will. Have this key somewhere that people can see. Let them ask. And when they ask, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to tell them what the key to the kingdom is. And this morning, it's available. It's always available. It's never not available to anybody. It doesn't matter whether we're assembled or not, but this is a great spot. This is a great time for us to be able to say to you, if anybody's ready to use that key right now and enter the kingdom of God, there's no reason to delay any longer. You know what the gospel is. We've talked about it today. I'm telling you, in this service today, God's calling you. God is calling you to his truth and if you respond this morning, you will be chosen. You will be allowed to enter the kingdom of God and receive all those benefits he wants to give you and all those responsibilities he wants to see in you. It's available right now. If you've already done this, you bear witness today in your presence of what it takes to do this. If you've never entered the kingdom, why not now? You've been called. You've been given the key. All you need to do is come as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.